I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This is a podcast about making work work. You'll learn about leadership, career growth, and how to navigate those weird work challenges. I run a HR consulting business called Boldside, where I help leaders build epic team cultures. If you lead a team or run a business and you think I can help, let's connect on LinkedIn. My name is Shelley Johnson. It's time to get to work. Lately in my business, I've been asked to run a heap of feedback masterclasses to help teams give and receive feedback. And I think the thing that I've realized is this is a pain point in most organizations. When there's an issue, people are like, oh, how do I give that person feedback? Or how do I, or this person's just giving me feedback in a really terrible way and now I'm really upset or whatever it is, there's, there's often issues surrounding this thing of feedback. The other challenge I see in teams that I work with is that there's just no feedback at all. So there's just an absence of feedback, positive and constructive. And that's not great either. And I think that reflects this thing, this challenge that we have with knowing how do we give and deliver feedback in a really meaningful way. So on this episode, we're going to break it down into kind of two parts. The first part will focus on how do you receive feedback? And then the second part, we're going to focus on how do you give feedback? So there'll be two elements of this particular episode. And I want to just start with this whole idea of receiving feedback. So this idea of how do you receive constructive input from another person? How do you, how do you make sure you do that in a really positive way? Because if we don't get good at receiving feedback, here's what happens. We stop getting it all together. And if we stop getting it all together, we don't grow. One of the best ways for you to grow is to get feedback from people. It's to hear maybe the things that you don't see in yourself. So it could be blind spots. It could be areas that you could change and adapt to grow and become better and more successful in your role. But if you don't receive feedback well, you're not going to get more of it. Because what happens is, and this is something I see all the time, I was working with a team a little while ago, about six months ago, And there was this person on the team who was saying to me in a one-on-one kind of conversation, hey, Shell, like I really, I really want to grow, but I don't get any feedback. So I, no one kind of tells me how I'm going, how I'm performing. There was a couple of things we started to dig into with this person. And I realized that there'd been previous examples where they had, people had tried to tell them, hey, I think you should try this a different way. I think there's some issues in how you're approaching this. What if you did this? And every time a team member or their manager had tried to give them ideas or advice, they got really defensive. And so the way that they responded in those meetings or conversations was that they just shut down. So they, they kind of disengaged or they disagreed or they would shift the blame. And what that ultimately meant for that person was they just stopped getting any feedback altogether. And they were kind of saying, well, my team don't give me any input. Unfortunately, you've created this dynamic by getting defensive every time they've tried in the past. So what we needed to do was shift the behavior 
for that person. They had to really proactively go out of their way to seek out feedback and then work so hard to lower their defenses so that they could receive that input and then make changes based on what they heard. So how you show up in these tough conversations or conversations that are about your growth and development, that is so important. And it's something that you can master. It's not outside of your control. It is something that you can control, you can master. And so we're going to dig into that today. And then we're going to talk about how you deliver feedback successfully. All right. So here's the deal. Feedback is a gift. Feedback is a service to you as the person receiving it. So if you imagine, and if you think about like Christmas coming up and presents, or if if your birthday is coming up, there's kind of two types of people in the world. And I know that anyone who says there's two types of people in the world is making major, major generalizations, but just go with me for the sake of the analogy, go with me. So there's there's two types of people. There's people that are really good at wrapping presents. You know, those people, before I had kids, I was that person. Like I would spend heaps of time wrapping a present. Don't do it now. But there's those people and they wrap presents and they put like the ribbon around it and they put the, you know, I don't know, like dried flowers in there. If you have some on hand, you might do that. Anyway, they get, get this present and they wrap it really beautifully and they deliver it. And then there's the, the second type of person and that is like, the person that's always, they've run out of time. They have, it's been a total afterthought. They've bought the present at the last possible moment. And then they just shove it into the like Coles bag, the brown paper bag you buy from Coles for 25 cents. And they're like, sorry, I ran out of time to wrap it, but here's your present. And those people. So I'm now the latter. I like the rush, rush job of like, just kind of, I'm like the last minute person with the presents now. If you think about feedback, the same thing happens. One person is the beautifully wrapped, they've really thought through the delivery of the gift. And the other person is like, hasn't thought about it at all. They've got the gift there, but the presentation of the gift is uh, definitely lacking. It's the same when we're having difficult conversations. So feedback conversations. I've seen managers do both. I've seen managers who are absolute pros at this, where they will deliver a difficult message to someone. They'll talk to someone about an area for improvement and they will have thought about the delivery. So the feedback is a gift, but they've also wrapped it really well. They've thought about how does this person like to receive feedback? How does this person like to be communicated with? What sort of heads up should I give them? They've kind of written down a few dot points to kind of get the message clear. So they're the person that does the gift and thinks about the wrapping and the presentation and the delivery. And then there's the other person who is like, last minute, I need to have this tough conversation. I'm not going to think about the presentation or or, or the kind of wrapping of it. I'm just going to last minute throw it together and hope for the best and hope that they see the gift for what it is. And as a receiver, in that conversation. So let's say it's your manager who's delivering feedback to you. You have a choice in that moment. If the person has delivered it well, well, it's a lot easier to take it on board, but not everyone's going to do that. In fact, I think most people probably could learn to deliver feedback better, which is why we're doing this episode. What I want you to think about as as this rule for receiving feedback, number one, is choose to see it as a gift. 
regardless of the delivery. If the delivery of the message isn't great, your job as a receiver of feedback is to find the golden thread through it. Like you've got to find what the gift is. That's your job. Even if you think, gee, that person really didn't frame that conversation well, or that person, that was a bit harsh the way they said that, or it was a bit passive aggressive. You can't control how that person delivers the message, but you can control how you respond to it. So I want you to remember number one, rule number one, choose to find the gift. Rule number two for receiving feedback is to drop your weapons. Brene Brown in her book, Dare to Lead, I know I quote her all the time. I'm not sorry though. Like I have zero apologies to make because it's always so, her work is so powerful in my opinion. In her book, Dare to Lead, she talks about this idea of armoring up that people in conversations that are difficult or high stakes, they armor up. So if you imagine like the Tin Man from Wizard of Oz, it's a really old movie, but like if you have watched it, the Tin Man is like covered in like tin (laughs) and he's got this kind of protective layering around him. And I think for people in tough conversations at work, we often do this where we armor up and that lack of vulnerability makes these conversations really difficult for everyone. If we're invulnerable, we don't show up authentically. It's very difficult for the person giving feedback to have an honest and authentic conversation. So your job as a receiver of a difficult message is to drop your weapons. And essentially what I'm saying here is lose the defensiveness It's natural in feedback conversations to get defensive, but your job is to move from your kind of natural initial response, which is someone's criticizing me towards, okay, what's the gift? What is the thing that I can learn from this? And so that's why you have to lower your weapons and move from that kind of armored response towards an open response. And you know what? I think defensiveness is one of the biggest frustrations for managers that I see. So I work with leaders all around Australia. And one of the things that they really struggle with on their team is when a team member is defensive. If you're defensive instead of curious, you're not going to be learning at the rate of other people who are more curious and who are more open to hearing about their blind spots or about their weaknesses. And so If you can work on this, like if you take one thing from the podcast, let it be this, you need to work out how you lower your defenses. And there's two common areas that I see play out when people get defensive. The first one is blame shifting. And it's really common. So blame shifting is almost like this like default response we have. And you can see this in your family situation. You can see this in any relationship where if someone kind of criticizes you, Often as a self-preservation mechanism, we go straight to who (laughs) or what is to blame for this other than me. And I've seen this in myself. I've done this like a thousand times. And I think we need to get to a place where our first response, instead of looking at who we can blame is, what could I, I have done differently? And if we can do that, our relationship with the people that we work with is going to improve so much, but also you're going to learn so much more. 
your rate of learning and your rate of growing is going to increase so much faster than people who are defensive and who, as a habit, respond poorly to feedback. So blame shifting is one area I see people get defensive. The other area I I see is stonewalling. And we've talked about this before on the podcast. It's from the work of John and Julie Gottman, and it's based on their study of marital relationships. And they said that one of the things that people do in conflict is that they stonewall. And what that looks like is they start to shut down. So it's an adrenal response and it's very difficult to get out of that sympathetic nervous system that we go to when we feel threatened or we feel under stress. And so what happens is people go into what they call stonewalling. And stonewalling, and you would have seen this happen or it may have happened to you, stonewalling is where you start to emotionally kind of detach and switch off from a conversation. So let's say you're having an intense discussion with your manager about something that went wrong in a project you're working on. And when someone starts stonewalling, they'll, they'll just simply kind of switch off. So they won't have an emotional response. They won't have any kind of facial expression response to anything. And it'll just feel like you're kind of talking to a brick wall, really. And if that's something you've noticed in yourself after the fact, because you probably don't notice it in the moment. It's probably something you reflect on afterwards, or maybe someone has told you that you do that, or you don't seem to be engaged in conversation. That is a, a natural response. That's when you get into fight or flight or freeze mode. So the thing we need to do is understand what happens to us when we feel threatened in conversations. What are th- what's my natural response? And therefore, once I know that, what can I do about that? Because if you have identified that maybe you've had those types of responses where you stonewall, where you shut down in the conversation because because it feels high stakes, then you can start to communicate with your manager or with people that you work with. Oh, sometimes when I'm in difficult conversations, this might happen. It's not because I don't want to hear you. It's it's kind of like a, a natural response. Sometimes I just need a quick like one minute break to like break and come back to the conversation when I feel a little bit more able to hear it or able to engage. This whole thing with receiving feedback, it's all self-awareness. And you're going to have some fails along the way. You'll have these times where you fail and you think, gee, I could have done that better. The more you understand how you respond in these kind of tricky work conversations, the better you will do at navigating them in future. So those two kind of defensive dynamics that I see, blame shifting and stonewalling. Actually, and can I say one more? The, uh, the other one that I see people do and they fall into the trap of when it comes to defensiveness is that this thing that's called the yes but defense. And it's an initial acknowledgement followed by a but. And anytime you kind of have a but after you acknowledge something, you're really undermining the first thing that you said. So, so it's kind of like when someone says, yes, I know I should have done that particular task by the deadline, but I had to do X, Y, and Z, and that's why I didn't do it. So it's a kind of acknowledgement, but not really. And the yes, but defense is, again, it's something that makes it difficult for the person delivering that feedback because they're like, okay, you're semi-acknowledging it, but not really. So I want you to think about those things, about how do you lower your defenses? How do you avoid those common behaviors or traps like blame shifting, stonewalling, 
and that yes, but defense. Those are the things that you need to look out for as little kind of warning signs that maybe your defenses are going up. And if that is you, there's one executive who I worked with quite a while ago, and he was just so masterful at lowering his weapons, like of, of not getting defensive and the way that he did it. And I know I've said it on previous podcasts, but I'm just going to say it again, because I, I think this is something that we all need to remember. When there was like a high stakes conversation or there was like conflict at work and people had to have some like really tough chats, if he ever was like the focus of some kind of criticism, he would just say this amazing thing. He would go, hey, I, I can tell in myself I'm getting a bit defensive, but I really want to hear you. And simply the acknowledgement of the defensiveness lowers the defensiveness. So if that's something that you find you struggle with at work, getting defensive, if you start to use some of that language and speak and share with the person how you're feeling, then the ability to notice the emotion and then call it out and say what's going on for you, that is that's very vulnerable. But that vulnerability will make for a much healthier discussion. So try it out and see what happens. If you do that, I'd love to hear from some people on LinkedIn. If you just message me, if you try that out at work, let me know how you go because I'd love to hear from you. Okay, rule number three for receiving feedback is to activate your curiosity. So if we see curiosity as a skill, a skill that you can develop, I also think it could be in a, a, a behavior or a feeling, but let's talk about it as a skill, as something that you can build. The best conversations that I see at work are when people are curious about one another. So you can do this. The, the way, the antidote to defensiveness is curiosity. So curious communication can have a few things. There'll be a few phrases you can use to activate your curiosity. The first one is tell me more. The second one is say more. So when someone says to you, oh, hey, this thing happened the other day and it, it really upset me when you did X, Y, Z. Instead of jumping into, oh, well, hey, this is what I meant by that and just coming straight back with like a counterpoint, the first thing you do is you activate your curiosity and you go, oh, okay, tell me more or, or say more. Another good question from Michael Bungay Stania is, and what else? So when you think they've gotten to the end of their point, instead of jumping in again, say, and what else? And see what they say, because that's your curiosity. And that puts you in an uncomfortable spot because chances are you don't want to know what else. You're like, oh, this is already painful. I don't want to hear any more from you <laughs> about like how I need to improve because I don't, these, those convers- these conversations are not like what you get up in the morning for, right? But if you activate your curiosity, you're going to, again, we've got to think about why we're here. You're about to receive a gift and you need to spend time understanding the problem. And the way you do that is you activate curiosity. So, a couple, I'm going to share with you a couple of other questions because if you can get these questions and memorize them, you can use them in these moments at work. The other ones are, I want to hear this from your perspective. How can I do things differently? What do you need from me? Help me understand. These are all really good phrases that activate curiosity. So I'd love to see people using these at work. And I think 
it's uncommon to see someone in a feedback discussion ask really good questions. So if you can do this, you're going to stand out. You're going to be seen as someone with a growth mindset who wants to learn and it's going to make your manager or whoever's giving you feedback, it's going to make their life easier. And by doing so, they're going to have more respect for you because you handle this situation really well when most people don't. So if you can do this, if you can activate your curiosity and ask those really good questions, you're going to become someone that people respect and admire for the way that you handle these moments. Because these moments are memorable. Like people remember how you handle yourself in these times at work. So if you can do this, you activate your curiosity, you ask really good questions, you seem really interested in another person's perspective and not just seem interested, you genuinely are interested in another person's perspective or view, their respect for you and who you are and how you show up at work will go up and ultimately everyone benefits from that. All right, we're going to go to a quick break and when we come back, I'm going to share with you the last two rules of how to receive feedback and grow in your career. If you want to grow in your career, I just wanted to remind you about our book, Sort Your Career Out and Make More Money. Glenn James and I have written this book to help you with any kind of career crisis, but also those things that you want like getting a promotion, making more money, moving into a leadership role, or if it's time to quit your job. You can find our book wherever you get good books from, or you can listen on the audiobook, Sort Your Career Out and Make More Money. Now let's get back to the show. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Number four. Talk about action. All right, when you have discussions and you, you're in this moment where someone's like shared, hey, I think this could be better. Once you've kind of talked through the ins and outs, you've asked those curious questions, then I want you to talk about, okay, cool. What do we do differently next time? So we start to talk about the action and the action needs to be future focused. So I don't want you ruminating over all of the things that went wrong for ages and ages because that's not healthy. I want you to start to think about the action. What are the next steps I need to take? How do I move forward from here? And I was talking with the team just this week, actually, around the difference between rumination and reflection. And I think this is a really important thing for us to understand. When we have setbacks or failures at work, we can fall into the trap of rumination. And rumination stops us from taking action. 
I'm going to give you the definition of what rumination is. So it's a maladaptive emotional regulation involving repetitive, constant and excessive thoughts focused on negative or stressful situations. And we've all been there, right, where we've, we've had a failure at work, so we've stuffed something up and we ruminate on it and we just cycle through nonstop, oh my gosh, I can't believe I did that, I'm so embarrassed, that was the worst thing ever. And then we just keep thinking about the negative consequences and, and we get stuck in the past. And when we ruminate, it's very difficult to take action. Whereas reflection, on the other hand, is very different. So self-reflection is a healthy emotional regulation, which is examining your own conscious thoughts, actions, and feelings so that you can learn from them. So I want you to look at, okay, you go through this conversation, get some constructive feedback. Then you have this moment where you either ruminate and just dwell on it and, and you know, wallow in dread <laughs> or I'm laughing because I'm like, I can see these moments in my life where I've just got stuck. And that'll be what it feels like. You'll feel like you get stuck versus reflection where you reflect on it and there's a level of like distance. So you take a little bit of distance, you step back and you think, okay, yeah, could have done that better, could have done that differently. And you look at, okay, well, what do I learn from that? So you draw out, okay, here's the learning. And then this is the part where you move to action. So you start going, okay, cool. That happened. Can't do much about it now. Like, yep. Definitely could do better next time. Here's what I'm going to do in future. There comes this point in the conversation where you have to move towards action. And so you can ask questions to the other person to say, okay, hey, what do you think needs to change going forward? Or hey, what if we did this instead next time? Or what if I did this differently? Do you think that would address this issue? So by asking these questions, you're showing that you're listening, that you've heard them and that you want things to change, but you're not getting stuck in that moment of like disappointment or feeling of failure or whatever that looks like for you. You're not ruminating, you're reflecting, and then you're moving to action. And number five, rule number five for receiving feedback is to say thank you. At the end of every feedback conversation, whether it's good, bad, or ugly, I want you to get into the practice of saying thank you. And this can be really hard to do. Like if you've ever worked in customer service and you've had a really annoying customer complaint where you're like, that is completely unreasonable and this customer is bothering me so much, you'll know this feeling of like, it's very difficult to say thank you when you think that is just outrageous. But when you practice this process and you get into the habit, you see it as a service, you look at what is the gift in this message, then you can say thank you. Even if you think, oh, that hurts or that's not the way that I would have delivered it. If you practice saying thank you for these moments and these conversations, there's a couple of things that happen. You'll get more feedback, which is good for you. It's so good for you. Most people don't get enough feedback at work. So if you can do this, you're going to end up getting more of it, which is going to be beneficial, which is going to serve you in your career. But the other thing that it does is it helps to repair the relationship. So sometimes these conversations can, not always, but sometimes they can feel like there's this complication in the relationship where maybe the relationship feels like it's 
damaged as a result. But by you saying thank you and working your way through that to go, you know what, I need to find the thing to be grateful for. doesn't have to be the whole message. Maybe there was some weird stuff that that person communicated. But if I can find the thing that I'm thankful for, it's going to help me and it's going to help that person. And it's not just simply saying, hey, thanks. There's a bit of an art to saying thank you. I want you to be specific. And again, this is hard. Like I reckon this is hard stuff. Like this is what we train people and leaders in organizations to do because it's not easy. But I reckon you can master it because you listen to this podcast. You've probably listened to a stack of episodes and I know that you're keen to grow in your career. So let's just do it. Let's go. So the way that you could say thank you is distill down the thing in the conversation that was most valuable for you. So I would say, hey, thanks so much for sharing this. I can imagine that was hard for you to have this conversation. Here's what I learned. And then state the thing that you learned. It might be one small thing. Or here's another way you can say thank you. Hey, thank you for being honest with me. I really found this part valuable. Or I appreciated you saying X. Or, hey, when you said that, that's really useful for me and I know that I'm going to do X, Y, and Z differently. If you end a conversation like this, the person you're talking with will be like totally mind blown because they in no way would have expected the conversation to go that way. And what you're doing is you're showing your maturity. You're showing your desire to listen, to learn, and to grow. So the power of saying thank you, and I... I was talking with a manager a little while back who had a really difficult conversation with an employee who was underperforming and they had to put this employee on a performance improvement plan. It was a really tough situation for both parties and the employee did this amazing thing where they, they came into the conversation, they did all these things, they weren't offensive, they owned their part, like they so, and we haven't talked about that, but owning your part is massive own the thing that's on you. So this person did that. They were like, yep, I've dropped the ball. I'm totally responsible for this. I'm really sorry for what I've done. Again, another thing we haven't talked about that we probably should have thrown in about how you genuinely need to apologize and own your part. And then they, afterwards, they sent their manager a text and they said, thank you for talking to me about this in such an honest and open way. I really appreciated this, this, and this. And they went into quite a lot of detail about how they're grateful for the conversation, even though it's difficult and what they're going to do going forward. And what that did, the manager's trust in that person went up miles. Like their trust in that person after going through this process ended up being higher than it was to begin with, which is really weird because they're like, before they had the performance issue, their trust was at a certain level. After they had the performance issue and the person was owned their part, acknowledged what they could have done differently and then made the changes, the trust that they had after that was higher than it was to begin with before they'd had any problems. And I think that is an amazing example of if you as a person receiving feedback that's difficult to hear, If you can nail your part in this process, you are going to go far in your career. Like this is going to set you up. So that is part one on this episode of the art of receiving and giving feedback. On the second episode, 
we will be talking about how to give feedback. If you enjoyed this episode, I want you to do a couple of things for me. Number one, give us a rating and review on Spotify or Apple. That really helps us to get the podcast out there and you know that I love feedback to do it. And then the second thing I want you to do is share this podcast with someone who needs to hear it. Thanks so much. You can find me on LinkedIn. Let's hang out there. See ya. We acknowledge the Awabakal people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits and pay respects to their elders past, present and emerging. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. We love learning how to do all things well, which is why we have a bunch of different podcasts on a variety of topics. So go and check out My Millennial Investor, My Millennial Money Professional, My Millennial Property, My Millennial Money, My Millennial Daily and Retire Right. Find these wherever you get your podcasts. 